from the number one best-selling author of Life Rescripted. You're now tuning in to the Year of Purpose podcast. I'm Zephan Moses Blacksburg. Pam Furterbar was born and raised in Wisconsin, the only child of two loving but quirky parents who fostered her creativity by setting a place at the table for Pam's imaginary friend, Daka. After graduating Marquette University with a BS in journalism, Pam worked at Furterbar Studios, the family advertising photography business, where she honed her skills as a TV commercials director and was paid to play with imaginary friends called actors. Now, she did so many amazing things since that time that I'm going to reveal to you in just a second, but I'm just going to say Pam blogs for the Huffington Post. She's a member of the Writers Guild of America, the Directors Guild of America, and the Coalition for Photographic Arts Milwaukee, where Pam serves as Vice President and Exhibitions and Events Chair. Thanks so much for being here, Pam. Thanks for having me, Zephan. So there's a huge part of your bio here that has so many amazing things that I left out specifically because I want you to take the credit for this. I'd love for you to share just a little bit of your time in Los Angeles and some of the things that happened there. And then we're going to jump into this great conversation that we actually had just a few minutes ago on happiness and, and where you know your life's happiness and fulfillment should really come from. Well, thanks. Um, Let's see, I moved to Los Angeles in 1994, left um, a lucrative family business, which was the advertising photography, but I had also gotten us into video and film production and was doing TV commercials in Milwaukee and in Chicago. And then I moved to L.A. thinking, well, how hard could it go? Could it be to go from that to directing uh, feature films? Uh, that didn't work out quite <laughs> as I as I thought. <laughs> I marched into Sony Studios and I was nobody. So um, I did sign with a bi-coastal production company and started directing commercials all over the country. And one day I met um, a man who was to be my mentor, Melvin Sikalski. In the 60s, Melvin was a fashion photographer, very famous fashion photographer, did a lot of work in Vogue. and At any rate, he took me under his, his wing and he said, you know, if you really want to tell stories, long stories, you know, make films, you got to get out of the commercial business because that'll just suck your soul up right out of you and you know you make a lot of money doing it and you just will never, so like a fool, I said, okay, Melvin. And I quit directing television commercials. And then, you know, like a year went by and I thought, hmm, how do you make a living now? <laughs> and I wrote a short story um, called Feng Shui and Charlotte Nightingale um, based on a news piece that I had seen about these huge corporations like Kaiser Permanente, Sony, Disney, who were hiring Feng Shui practitioners um, not only to, to retool sort of existing spaces, but to work with architects on new projects that were being developed. And I started doing research on feng shui, and just that I couldn't get this out of my head, this idea of feng shui, and because I hate clutter, um, I like things very organized, and I've always wondered why do I want to put the plant here instead of over here? And this was all sort of revealed to me when I started doing my research on feng shui, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, one night, and I know this is going to sound so goofy, but this character, this terribly disorganized, badly done by wreck, train wreck of a girl named Charlotte Nightingale, 
sort of popped onto my shoulder and said, you got to write me down. You got, you got to write down this story. And for six days and nights, <laughs> I wrote this 42 page short story at the end of which um, I started handing it out to friends and acquaintances and total strangers and saying, if, if you read this and you like it and you know anyone in either the book world or the film world, could I ask you please to pass it on? And a few days later, the phone started ringing and lo and behold, a bidding war erupted for the film rights to this short story. Um, it was absolutely the most um, intense time. I mean, it was 48 hours and things, in the end, New Line bought the film rights for $800,000. I got paid half of that. Um, with the other half to come when they began principal photography and then they hired me to adapt the material to a screenplay in the middle of that process and you know Charlotte has the worst luck in the world <laughs> and so you know hashtag Charlotte moment because in the middle of that process of writing the screenplay um, all of my executives at New Line got fired because Time Warner merged with AOL and they owned, I think Time Warner owned New Line or AOL did whatever. And all the new executives came in and wanted to clear the decks, you know, and start fresh with their projects. Wow. Yeah. It, and it was very disappointing. I mean, it was a nice, really nice payday, you know, that initial, but disappointing that my Charlotte wasn't going to see the light of day. And then a couple of years ago, just before I decided to move back to Wisconsin, I was clearing out files and hard drives and whatever and came across that short story. And I thought, you know, they the, the bidding war was really quite intense. Everyone wanted a piece. I got a personal phone call, believe it or not, from Madonna, from Sandra Bullock, um, who wanted this for their production companies. And I thought, there's there's some there there. And I, that little girl, that Charlotte Nightingale muse, actually came back and we wrote it. We, and I say we because it, she seems so real to me. Probably it's an alter ego thing, but uh, wrote it as a, as a full length novel. And then back it went into a drawer while I was trying to sell my house and, and, you know, get ready to move back to Wisconsin to be with my family who needed a little help. My mom had broken her back. And I came back, and as I was unpacking, of course, the hard drives and the disks and everything else, I thought, you know, and I sent the very first query email that I sent out to a publisher. I got a response that same day, and the woman that I'd written to said, please send me the first five chapters. And by the end of the day, she had sent me a contract. So lightning maybe can strike, strike twice. I'm hoping three times, because... Now, New Line is interested in possibly dusting this off again. <laughs> wow. So, fingers crossed. Um, it is a very, I think, uplifting tale uh, about, it's a fable really, about how when you are down on yourself and you walk with your head down all the time, geez, it seems like the glass is always half empty and your luck is terrible. And whatever it is in your life that elevates you, whether it's just someone that pays attention to you and is kind to you, or self-determination, you wake up one day and say, I've had enough of this, people walking all over me, or if it's the result of something like feng shui, or mitzvah, or prayer, or voodoo, that makes you throw your shoulders back and change your attitude, and then your life changes. So, there, and I don't answer that question in the book. 
because for me, the jury's out. It might be a combination of all those things. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like a big theme of it is the power of thinking positively and staying in a positive mindset. And I'm sure that a lot of that has played out in your life to allow you to go on all these amazing adventures. I mean, I don't think many people uh, get these types of opportunities if they're hanging their head low all the time. And I'm sure uh, you certainly have experienced what life is like when you do that and what life is like on the other side of it when, you know, you keep a positive mindset. Absolutely. And I, at, speaking to that, I mean, it's, I'd have to give a huge shout out to my parents because um, they were such great advocates my whole life and very supportive and um, just the ideal parents in terms of fostering my creativity they you know when they saw that that was a direction in which I was moving they never said oh you should try to find something that's financially more viable or you know what I mean a lot of parents would be like you should go to law school you should go to medical school you should you know you should learn to be um a CPA, you know, but they, they said, to, if that is your love, your passion, you feel that's where your life is taking you, you should do that. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, so that most of the time, not all the time, of course, but most of the time, my shoulders were back and my head was up. And that's when you really can see the world for all in all its glory and also the, the cracks in the pavement you might want to avoid. But I have fallen into those as well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this, you know, how can people uh, either shift back into this positive mindset or at least try to stay as optimistic as possible when they do uh, fall down? Because, I mean, it, it's inevitable that this is going to happen in life, right? Like, I always tell people that my life is a series of very high highs and very low lows. And if you look at, you know, that deal with with New Line Cinema, when they first purchased the rights to your story, you know, that was probably a very high high. And then, you know, to hear that they had been uh, bought out or in the transition, you know, they had done a huge shakeup uh, to find out that it wasn't going to happen. I mean, that definitely has to be quite crushing in a sense. So I'm curious, like, how do you stay as optimistic as possible? And how can other people do that? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, both of those situations were extreme ends of a spectrum. In both cases, kind of like being punched in the gut. You know, on the plus side, it was a, a good punch in the gut. <laughs> on the other side, it was like being the solar plexus where it just takes the air out of you. Um, I That's a really good question, how to stay optimistic. I mean, I think it's, a, it's the fight or flight instinct in us that I think brings you back to that optimism because I personally, I don't like playing in the middle. Um, which isn't to say I, I would want to be bipolar, which I, I, as I understand it is the high highs and the low lows. Um, but, but I think that there's sort of an equilibrium you can achieve still pushing for the highs and trying to get out of the lows as quickly as possible. The middle, I don't know that people move a lot when they're, when they're in the middle. So there's, there's for me at least, a real... It's inspirational to be, <laughs> to be on the low end of things because I like the, the, you know, when you're optimistic, people treat you differently. Yeah. 
and I'm a very social creature. So I, I like to be out and meeting people and, and of course I want them to like me. And when you're optimistic, you, I think come from a little bit more of a position of power. People like that. Everyone gets along. People tend to respect you. They don't step on you <laughs> as much as when you're in that, that low end of the spectrum with your head down all the time. There are people in the world, sadly, who seem to enjoy seeking those people out and abusing them. So for me, just knowing that I don't feel good when that happens, it makes me angry, it makes me question humanity. Um, and I'm aware of it now that that not all I have to do, but that the main thing you have to do is throw your shoulders back. You know, who was it? Elizabeth Taylor said, put on a little lipstick, pour a drink, and get the hell out there. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I th I, that's certainly a big part of it is you just kind of have to go about doing it. You know, it's everyone wants to know the secret to happiness and the secret to happiness is just putting yourself out there and, and seeing where you land um, and, you know, wherever you land, just going from there. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit before we even got onto the recording here about happiness and how uh, you know, money doesn't necessarily equate to happiness. And, you know, with landing such a huge deal like that, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you were sharing with me how, you know, there's some people that, that make way more money uh, and there's no correlation to happiness. Absolutely. And coming from Los Angeles, I, I made wonderful, wonderful friends, very grounded friends there. But I'm, as a writer and ha has, having been a, a television commercials director, and I'm also a photographer, I observe people a lot. And it was quite an interesting study because I have never, in my life in Milwaukee certainly, encountered um, such a huge contingent of wealthy people, not rich, wealthy and so many of them were unhappy and bitter and, you know, not what you would consider like really quality human beings. And I started thinking about, well, what is happiness? Because, you know, how many times do people say, oh, money doesn't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to try. And I think, yeah, but if you can observe people with a tremendous amount of money and you see how unhappy so many of them are, I think you start to realize that that's a weird focus to have. And if that is your definition of happiness, 99 and 9 tenths percent of us will die unhappy people. So, and there's this huge cultural thing, it seems like in the last several years, where even the poorest segment of our society is now kind of saying, well, money equals happiness. And they aspire to that when then they're missing the whole point of life, which, which is to, to have these things inside of you that truly bring rewards. You know, French, I mean, it sounds corny, like Tuesdays with Maury, but I think at the end of your life, when you look back, you're not going to say, geez, I wish I had had a few more bucks in the bank. You're going to say, I wish I had kissed someone more or loved someone more or taken that trip or just paid attention to the last sunset. So, uh, it was very valuable to me being in Los Angeles and just, just being to able to observe this 
this culture of money equals happiness. And, you know, when the thing, when I made my deal, and that was quite a windfall, but I, I would have to laugh because so many people said to me, oh, Pam, it's like winning the lottery. And I thought, uh, except that I didn't just walk into a 7-Eleven with a dollar. Because <laughs> my whole life had taken me to the point of being able to write that story. Um, it was such a high. And it was, I was suddenly in this other stratosphere and not that by any means that it made me wealthy but people wealthy people were paying attention and they they do sort of surround you and you're they're like they want you to be one of them and as soon as the deal fell apart poof those relationships evaporated and i'm not kidding you like phone calls didn't get returned invitations got rescinded it and it's not like you know i got caught doing something untoward it was just that this huge corporate merger caused this thing and I went back to being nothing and I suppose I licked my wounds for a little while and was down about it but then I realized that that was a false happiness and I'm not a religious person at all um, I like to think I'm spiritual in my own way but so the idea of false happiness isn't necessarily, you know, I was looking for the, you know, a God or, or something like that. I just realized that, boy, that happiness is, it comes from inside of you. And so that external thing of suddenly all these people inviting me to all these fancy parties and, you know, and, and having money and being able to buy a house and stuff was, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't what made me happy. At the end of the day, what made me happy was that someone, and it turns out a whole bunch of people, really liked that story. Mm -hmm. Now, sadly, I think a lot of them really liked that story because they thought it would make them a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it took a while before I realized it, it is the kind of story that will not only perhaps make people money, that's a side issue, I believe it will make people happy to read it. <laughs> and that's when I went back and, and wrote it as a novel. And the feedback has been, for me, it has made me happy because people are finding um, a very inspirational message in it, which is interesting because it's very broad humor and it's not preachy or in quotes, spiritual at all. It's a wild ride. It's a screwball comedy at the heart of which is this message about what is happiness? Where do you find it? How do you get it? Yeah. And it sounds like it reflects some of your adventures too, you know, in creating, having this come to fruition, uh, because, you know, it, it has been a, a twisty, turny ride to make this happen. Uh, so it's interesting to see how that ties into the story being told there. And uh, I guess the, the best way to kind of round things off here is to ask, you know, how, what is the best way for us to determine our happiness? Or, or, you know, like, I think far too many people are making the mistake that happiness comes from somewhere else. I think we definitely agree on that, that it has to be internally. Um how, yeah. Why is it so hard for people to find it, though, if it's sitting right here in front of us? Well, I think it's our culture. I mean, I think if you look at certain 
tribes in very remote areas of the world, by our standards, they have absolutely nothing. But they work only as hard as they have to to be able to survive physically, so finding food, shelter, whatnot, the rest of the time they spend with their children and their families. And they are happy. Um, so I think for for us, we are in a culture right now where we are told, you, geez, the, you turn on the television, you know, anything, you pick up a magazine, happiness is having a lot of stuff. Happiness is not having lines on your face. Happiness is being thin. You know, I mean, all of these external things that we work so hard to get and we spend so much money. And then, you know, you you go to bed at night and you think, geez, I'm still not happy. So for me, I when I think, well, what makes me happy? I love to laugh. I think, you know, they and they've done all these studies. You release all kinds of endorphins and you know when when you are when you laugh and I just look for and and the book is semi autobiographical in that the weirdest things happen that you can imagine have happened to me and because people say you're you're exaggerating no I wish but <laughs> truly some really weird stuff has happened and I have learned now even while it's sort of happening and I'm sure people think I'm demented, you will find me laughing. And I'm not saying when someone gets hit by a bus, I'm not laughing at the misfortune of others. My own misfortune, I realize, is going to make a great story. And it makes me laugh. And that's where I, that's my happy place, is when I'm laughing. So that's, that was the best I could do in terms of sharing my vision for how people might be happy is read my book and laugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you see that a lot of value in um, other people, you know, finding laughter and comedic relief from their own misfortunes? I mean, I know I'm huge with self-deprecating humor. When I mess up in a screwball type way, I admit it on the spot and then kind of laugh it off and just enjoy that it happened. Absolutely. Um, I mean, isn't that kind of the key to life, is not taking yourself too seriously? Certainly. I mean, we we were talking about not growing up and how important it is to, you know, you said someone told you to grow up. Yes. And, Regularly, they and, tell me that. <laughs> and I don't know if that's really the secret here. <laughs> I, I think that's actually quite the opposite. I, you know, I, I, I think that people probably have pretty good intentions. And when they say grow up, I think they mean, you know, dress for your age. Um, I have a mouth like a sailor most of the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't believe I've gone almost 30 minutes without <laughs> without being bleeped. But um, I, I think they mean grow up in, in that, you know, just stop acting like a goofball. But there are... If I did that, I would lose also that part of me that has sort of a childlike wonder for the world and the and the things that happen around me. And and as a as a writer and also as a photographer, it's really important that I be able to see the world for what it is. And that means with all of that pretense and stuff stripped away from people. So growing up would be the end of my life as I know it. I don't know. I would then 
in fact, not that there's anything wrong with it, but have to go become a CPA. Well, I think that you've definitely lived quite the adventure so far, and there's so many more to be had. I'd love to share with everyone just, uh, you know, a last little bit about the book and, you know, where they'll be able to find out more information and, and to see. I know you blog on Huffington Post and things like that. So what's the best place for people to find more info about you and, and to check out the book? Oh, thank you. It's pamfurterbar.com. There's um, there's a blog there, um, sample chapter, uh, oh, anything you'd want to know, where you can buy the book. Um, you know, there's book club stuff, which has been so much fun. Um, so it's just P-A-M-F-E-R-D-E-R-B-A-R.com. Perfect. And uh, any final just words of wisdom in, in living a fulfilled life that has, you know, a story like yours? I think that no matter how bad things are, you can find the humor <laughs> in it. And as long as you can find the humor, some shred of comedy, you can pick your chin up and throw your shoulders back and feel okay about yourself. I think couldn't have said it better. And Pam, thank you so much for for spending some time with us and, and talking about, you know, your quite, I would say, crazy adventures and <laughs> uh, looking forward to uh, staying in touch with you. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Zeph. And take care. Have a great rest of the day. Hey, everyone. It's Zeph. Did you like this episode? Be sure to subscribe so that you can tune in next week and tell a friend about the show. If you want access to free training and exclusive interviews on success, happiness, lifestyle design, and adventure, visit me at yearofpurpose.com. Until next time, go out and let life surprise you so that you can live a life rescripted. scripted